Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, all right, all right. You guys have a seat. Glad that you're here on this beautiful, beautiful day. How's everybody doing? All right, all right. Um, hey, before we get into groups, we're going to um, pop the lights on for everybody you see. Uh, few things I want to let you know about kind of what's going on. We're in an awesome season right now as a church as far as just a lot of cool things going on. Again, we're in the middle of uh, connection groups, and we have about four more weeks. If that's not something you're in, you can always join at any point. And so uh, we're in the middle of that, meeting in two different homes on Wednesday, Thursday night. Great opportunity to connect with people, be reminded of uh, the sermon, and just kind of be encouraging your faith midway through the week. So that's an option for you, and you can sign up online, um, talk to me, or... We have uh, on the back table there, we have these pamphlets here, so if you want to take notes, and then also there's a, a communication card, so you can fill it out if you want, and just let us know uh, if you want to sign up for something. Um, also, I want to let you know that uh, the next few months have some great opportunities. In March, we have the, um, the SWAG Outreach, which is the homeless ministry. Literally, usually about four or five people, right? Perfect for that. And it's about an hour, hour and a half on a Thursday evening. It's after connection groups end. And so if you're in a Thursday night group, it won't affect you. But great way just to kind of minister to people that often are overlooked and just kind of spend some time with them. And then the first Saturday in March, we're headed back down. Uh, we just came back a few weeks ago from the Tijuana Christian Mission and uh, visiting the orphanages down there, hanging out with the teenagers and the little kids, doing Easter and all that kind of good stuff. So in order to prep for that, just so you know, I believe it's March uh, 26th or 27th, I think is a Sunday, somewhere around there in that vicinity, right? Someone will correct me. Uh, but we're going to do a Sunday where there's no sermon. We're going to have worship, and we're just going to put tables around, and we're just going to put baskets together, Easter, and get prepped. And rather than do it on a Friday night and only three of you show up, we're just going to have everybody do the work on a Sunday. I'm out of town, so it's perfect <laughs> as far as you don't have to listen to a sermon, but um, we just get to love um, and everybody gets to participate, so you feel like you're a part of uh, what's going on. And so, uh, and then also, I think Allie's working on, you know, Bryce and Allie are part of the Slave Free Project. Uh, one of the ways we serve, uh, or they serve, is uh, putting Bibles together for, uh, for young people that are pulled out of uh, trafficking. And they like to give them like a, is it Allie's like a gift basket or something? Decorated Bibles. So we'll have the opportunity here, we'll get to decorate the Bibles and and then that's a gift that goes to them. As soon as they're pulled out, they get a free Bible. So a lot of cool, so that, you know, that Sunday. And on those kind of Sundays too, sometimes we're always strategic with who we invite and when. It's like, oh, I hope he's not teaching on finances or not. Don't worry about that stuff. And something like that, if someone wants to come on that Sunday, invite them. You just never know how God's gonna work. We're around a table. You're talking to someone, it really hits them or just by the service project we're doing. So it could be a great Sunday to invite people and just, participating in and how we kind of function as a church. So just want to give you a, a, a picture of kind of what's going on the next, um, the next month. Acts chapter 15, if you want to get your Bibles ready, uh, we're going through the book of Acts, looking at how to stay on mission for God and how the early church really is a movement, not just a, um, a community of God's people, but it's a movement for God. And so that's why we're in the book of Acts. And so we're seeing how the early church did that. We're a little over halfway through this book, we're going to be done by the end of March, and then we're going to jump into the gospel, looking at the life of Jesus uh, and studying him. 
since he is our savior, since he is our creator, since he is our king, we're going to look at his life. But today we're going to look at how we can really reflect the early church uh, and how God wants to move in it and through it. And so I'm going to pray. And we're going to jump in. Jesus, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for each person that's here. God, I believe that everything is by design. There's nothing by chance that each of us are here because it's by your hand and by your will. And that means that you have um, a purpose for us. So God, I, I pray that we would not allow the distractions of our hearts or soul or this world to miss out on your voice. I pray, God, that as you speak to us, we would not dismiss that voice. We would not run away from that voice. Or we would not allow other voices to be loud. Because, God, when you speak, things change. When you speak is when we're most alive. So, God, whether it's you speaking through your word or speaking through us to each other, God, may we hear from you. And we thank you for your love. Thank you for creating each person here, giving us a soul that we're made in your image. Thank you for dying on the cross because you want each person here to live forever and to also live a really good life. So we're really excited, Jesus. Thank you. In your name, amen. Uh, unity is, is really key to success, as I'm sure you guys shared. When you think about things that haven't worked in life, maybe a family that didn't function very well, maybe a business that kind of lost its way, or even churches, unfortunately. You see churches kind of lose their way or um, something just doesn't, there's no momentum. Sometimes it's that lack of unity. And we see that early on in the scriptures as far as this, the church of God is on this mission, but it can easily be derailed if it's not unified. And so we see in Acts chapter 15 where the church encounters this and how do they handle it? But also, what is unity and maybe what it isn't that we think it is? Because sometimes we interpret what unity is and it's not unity, it's false unity. So we're going to kind of clarify all that. Now I'm going to admit there's some sermons that, man, it just tugs your heart. There's some sermons I'm looking forward to because I know it's like you're going to weep, you're going to be like, oh, that's for me. And there's other sermons you're like, uh, okay, unity, you know, it's like, but I want to be careful that we don't get stuck into every time we open God's word, we got to have this emotional, and there's some things you might, some today, for some of us, it might be like, well, I'm going through that. For others of us, it's like, I'm not, that's fine, but you will at some point. You'll be part of a business or a marriage or a friendship or a church, and you're going to be like, ooh, this is bringing up something. And so you can kind of navigate that. So sometimes it's what you will go through in the future. So I just, I just want to acknowledge that. Acts 15, we're going to start in verse 1. Church is booming. It's growing. Everything looks great. I've seen that in businesses. It's booming. It's growing. Everything looks great. And it seems to all of a sudden go down after it's hitting its peak where there's all this momentum. Why did it lose its way? Because of this. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. And we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're questioning this church and getting people to be like, oh, maybe I'm not a, a Christian. You're not doing enough to receive God's love. Some of us maybe grew up in churches or religions like that. You better keep doing, you better keep performing, or God then, nah, I don't love you. You're saved, you're not saved, you're saved, right? 
And so this was being taught in the early church, or certain people came to teach this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. In order to keep unity, there always must be discussion. When a business or a church or a marriage or a friendship begins to withhold discussion, you almost know for certain it will lack unity. And I know for some of us, the way God's wired us is we just don't like confrontation. We don't like conflict. I'd rather just pray about it <laughs> and kind of let God take care of it. And sometimes God's like, I'm going to bounce that prayer right back to you and say, you're the answer prayer. Speak up. And speaking up doesn't mean it's my truth and you need to, but at least there needs to be a listening. There needs to be an engagement. There needs to be a discussion. When you take out speech and discussion, you always take out unity because there becomes oppression. Whether it's a nation, whether it's a church, whether it's a marriage. I've dealt with that in, even in counseling. You can get some old school mindset, the man's the leader of the home. Agree with that verse, I just don't agree with how you're applying it. What I say goes. Well, I guess you just tore out 1 Peter 5 that says, husbands, understand and love your wives that your prayers may not be hindered. You just cut that one out, right? You see, good leaders, listen. They don't just say, no, you're wrong, or I'm gonna debate you and prove that you're wrong. And that's a healthy church, right? And then through debate, we see where maybe one person is wrong and there needs to be humility in debate. Oh, my bad, right? Thank God we had debate with the civil rights in our country. That was a wrong way to do things, to diminish a human being saying, you're one third, you're one quarter, you can be bought and sold, right? That was a really good thing, but it needed debate. Rather than, oh, we don't want to talk about that. That's too sensitive, right? So this is what was happening in the church. And so they came into sharp dispute and they debated. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Let's run it up the flagpole, right? Let's talk about this openly. Unity needs open discussion. So they did that. So it says that um, we're going to jump down to uh, verse 5 because they went there. And it says that when they were there then, now they brought all the parties together. But there's maybe some disagreement. It says, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised required to keep, uh, and required to keep the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders met to consider the question. Are they right? This is really fundamental. It's really core as far as someone's salvation or are they not saved? Did we get this wrong, right? And so they had this debate. And so we see that then um, the early apostles and the early leaders then had some opinions on this. And so we hear from Peter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I encourage you to read this week. But for the sake of time, I kind of want to jump down to the key thing. In verse 19, they said this, It is my judgment after hearing all the debates and all the different sides, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat of strangled animals and from blood. Have any of you read that before and been like, what am I reading right now? Right? It's like, that's the conclusion they came up with? Right? It's like, and then you feel bad as far as it's like, oh no, 
when I buy meat from Bonds, like, how did they kill the animal? Like, am I, I'm not saved, you know? I don't know how this animal was killed, you know? Um, or food polluted by idols. You know, so basically this is what was going on is um, they said, listen, let's keep it really simple. That it's by grace you are saved. And the only action required as far as that God requires is that you turn from idolatry. Things that you depended on uh, before for salvation, for security, for answered prayer. And all these things, just so you know, uh, are a part of idolatry back then. And so to certain gods that they would, um, uh, they would do certain sacrifices with the animals for those gods, and they would strangle them and do them in a certain way. And so it has nothing to do with dietary things. By the way, we know that because later on in letters, Paul says, hey, Stop judging each other over where you got your meat. Did you buy it from bonds? Were they, they kill it that way? Or did you buy it from Costco? They, this is ridiculous. As long as you're not worshiping those gods, eat the meat and say, thank you, God, right? So we know it's not about a dietary issue or anything like that. Uh, and so really what it's about is, listen, that in order to truly be saved, it's by God's grace, but we're going to make it simple. Turn away from your old way of doing things. That's simply what it is. Now, we don't experience that but they, that's what they experienced back then. For us, it might be other things. Other things that were idolatry to us that we worship for security and for purpose, for answered prayers. It could be a, a variety of things. And so the Bible, the key thing it says is, listen, salvation is at the point of repentance in your life where you say, God is my God. No longer I'm my God. No longer are my parents my God. No longer is that way of thinking that I grew up with my God. And then it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be sexual immorality where I find fulfillment in someone to love me and have sex with me, that that's where I find fulfillment and purpose, and no, it's all in Jesus, right? So it could be a variety of things. So we see that they had to have this discussion in order to get unity on something very core to the vision and the values of what Christianity is. When we preach, we have to say, we're going to preach, and then everybody here needs to be circumcised, or is it just by God's grace? Now, what's interesting about this, and I think that you remember, when the Bible's written, it's written with a purpose. So it's good sometimes to read past a few verses, read like the whole chapter, or even a couple chapters, and go back, because there's a theme there. We have unity, and then look what happens just a few verses later. Skip down to verse 36. The church is unified. We're one. We're together. And then it says, sometime later, so they go back, Paul and Barnabas, they go back to Antioch, and they say, hey, this is what it means as far as to be a Christian and to be saved. But sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, verse 36, right, says, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. That was their first missions trip was Acts chapter 13 and 14, just so you know. That was their first. There's going to be three trips. 13, 14 was their first one. Let's go back and let's encourage them. That's what they want to do. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. By the way, uh, John is uh, Barnabas's cousin. They're related. So he wanted to take with them because he was with them on the first trip. It's like, hey, he went with us, experienced it. Let's take him again. Makes sense. Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So Paul says, if you commit, you stay the whole way or you're out. Right? Paul's hardcore. We know that. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Wait, we just had this big unity, and now I have leaders of the church departing company. That must be the work of the devil, right? A lot of times whenever we see division, 
we think, oh, that's the work of Satan. Mm, actually, not always. Not always. Division doesn't always mean lack of unity. It depends on what you're dividing over. And I'm going to be talking about that. So it says here that they had shut their, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, and it's Colossians 4 that talks about him being his cousin, and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left and committed by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Sicilia, strengthening the churches. They parted ways, and what we see in the scriptures is they really never came back together. And we can look at this as a bad thing, but actually what we see is it's actually part of God's plan. So when we look at the unity thing, we have this chapter where it's like they're unified and then now they're divided. How do we reconcile those things? And I kind of want to talk that through this morning because we're going to see it in our church and we're going to see it in other ways too and we need to be able to understand it. So a couple things I just want to point out today when it comes to kind of unity in the church. Unity is about being on the same page with vision and values, not style and preferences. Unity is about being on the same page with vision and values. What are we trying to accomplish? And what are the behaviors that we must have as we accomplish those things? It's not about style and preferences. So basically, is there should be diversity in unity. That's healthy. It's really important because sometimes we'd be a part of churches and, well, we speak in tongues, and that's really the way of true Christianity. And you're not a, I kind of grew up a little bit in that environment. And if you can't speak in tongues really well, are you really spiritual? And so what happens is you can have that diversity where some people are like, yeah, I just, I don't do it. I tried it. doesn't really know the people. And so we miss sometimes that diversity. Or um, everybody needs to witness to people like I do. Or I remember going to a missions conference and it was young people. We're all college students. You know, you're pumped up at that age right then. And he's like, if you don't go on international missions, do you really love Jesus? No, we don't. You know, making us feel horrible. You know, we're young and impressionable, you know. And he's telling these amazing stories of how, you know, he left his family and almost died in 50-foot waves. And God said, I want that. Yeah. And if you stay here in America, your faith is weak. America sucks. America does suck, right? And so it's those, and it's one of those things, if you didn't go international, that's where real missions is. And if you're just reaching your neighborhood in suburban America, you're not a real missionary. Well, that's just not true. And that was actually divisive, and it wasn't helpful and beneficial. There can be diversity. Some people are going to go away. Great, give them your money. Let them go. Some of us are like, yeah, I ain't going to a different country. I don't like the food. I like my food. I like my, you know. But there's diversity in the way we reach people. That's fine if you don't go. But who are you reaching across the street then? Because where we are unified is, Here's where we're unified. Being a missionary is not a professional, full-time, I'm on salary person. Brian, that's what you do. Uh-uh. All of us. The Bible says, as soon as you become a Christian, you're ordained, ordained to be a missionary. So there's diversity, but there's unity in our vision. Does that make sense? And so we see that in the early churches. They had unity where they needed to really figure that out is their core vision and values. What does it mean to have salvation? What does it mean to be saved? And what are the values, the behavior as far as Okay, one of the key behaviors of a Christian is you really renounce your old way of living. Let me give you a few other passages. And I know sometimes I jam through these passages. That's why we have YouTube. Go back, listen to it again, and, and, or just write it down and then look at it later. But Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 talks about this uh, diversity and unity. But it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, kind of the leadership. If you're in leadership, your job is to... Uh, Equip his people for works of service. 
Not go do works of service so they can just give money and clap when you do it. They actually participate. My job is actually to equip you, not to perform for you. My job is to encourage you, right? And to give you the tools and the knowledge so you guys give, so I have time to kind of formulate that because you're busy, you got working job. So my job is to make sure I have clarity so I can give you clarity so then you can go out and perform the works of service. That's not to do it in place of you. Brian, you go do that. You go on missions. We'll stay back here. Uh-uh. So le- if you're in leadership, just so you know, it's not that you're super busy juggling all the balls and, you're, and people are telling you what to do. It's that I'm informing you what God has asked you to do. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm done on that rant. Okay, so to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach what? Unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So unity that we all have the same way of thinking about God, who he is, how we interact with him, what our role is. We want to be on the same page with all that, it's actually very important because when we're not on the same page, all of a sudden diverse thinking can come in and sometimes that can turn into divisive thinking. I remember this when, uh, again, this was years ago in a small group and um, we had a couple and they were big on, well, in the end, all people will be saved. What do you do with that? False unity is, hey, don't say anything, you know? We just kind of look at each other, you know? We don't want to hurt their feelings. Let me ask you this, though. If that begins to perpetuate, oh, yeah, that's kind of, that sounds like God, and God's a God of love. So why would a God of love not be loving to people who are like, hey, I tried my best, right? I mean, it does, there's some things that make sense there. But what happens is then we break Unity, and all of a sudden, things get watered down as far as this. Well, if all people are saved, then why do missions? When you have a church where all people are saved no matter what, I guarantee they have weak missions. Because why go? In the end, everyone's going to be okay. Cool. I can just live the American dream then and not worry about other people. Let me ask you, is that what Jesus preaches? Is that what he says, right? And so what we do is when we want false unity, we appease people in the moment, but we hurt them in the long run. And that's in relationships, that's in marriages. Short-term appeasement is long-term damage because you'll lose your mission for your marriage, for your church, or for your business. Say the hard truth early and save them for the long run. It was a difficult discussion. Now you gotta do it in the right way. And I was like, ah, so, and this is what I said, so what Bible verse? I'm just curious. Again, play dumb. You know, hey, I'm not sure about, what Bible verse would you use for that? Well, I'm not, you know, well, could I give you a few verses that might push back against that? Is that, you know, well, sure, you know, and what happened is there were Christians that they actually hadn't read the Bible. They'd just been informed by other churches that they were from. And all of a sudden they got into the Bible and like, uh-oh, and then I asked them, I'm like, if that's true, then why should we ever go on missions? But yet God's commanded, why would he command us to do something that has no direct, and they didn't have an answer. But discussion all of a sudden can bring clarity 
and truth. And then as a group, we can be unified so that no one is led astray being like, oh, good. I don't need to reach my family or my friends because they're all going to be saved in the end. That's just not true. I know it's a harsh truth. Does that make sense about the short-term appeasement for the long? Yeah, that's really, really important because I've seen it in churches and it really waters down a church, breaks it down. And here's, remember, without unity, you can't have success and achievement. Spiritual, relational, whatever it is. So once we start, you start seeing lack of unity in something, just know it's impossible to have success. So what I want to do, focus on the unity part. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this, though within that, this diversity of unity. 12, 18 through 20 says this, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Now, before this, if you want to read the whole chapter, it's kind of funny because Paul's uh, obviously being rhetorical where he says, like, is everybody in the body? Like, if you had your body, is the whole body an eye? That would be a very weird body, he says, right? Yeah, that'd be freaky. And he says, and does one part of the body not need the other? No. You take out one part, any of us that have lost parts of the body, right? You don't realize you need your thumbs until all of a sudden you're like, you can't grab something, right? (laughs) You know? Or something internal. It's one of those things of, no, God put the body together. It's a great illustration as far as, no, there's diversity, but as it all works together, there's unity. And so again, diversity is going to be in style and preference. Here's what happens, though, is many times we dismiss core vision and values because that's tough discussions but then we judge people in their style and preferences. I don't like this church because that person prays too. I don't like this small group. That person prays way too long. That's fine. Maybe you're more concise. Maybe they're not. The style and a preference. Maybe one person can go to a party and reach people for Jesus and the drugs and the alcohol doesn't bother them. Great. Another person can't. They're going to be triggered and they're going to fall. God's not called you to that. Maybe during worship, some people like to lift their hands like a child to their father, and other people are like, yeah, my hands don't go above my head ever. That's fine, but have you ever been in a church where, come on, you need to worship, and if you don't lift your hands, and if you don't, you're not really, I'm like, whoa. I'm gonna strong arm you into being a Christian like me. And do you really think Jesus is just like, lift those hands, lift those? Really? Do I see that in, in the Bible? Right? But sometimes with diverse, so people are going to, but I've also had people leave our church because we had people dancing in the back. Really? They're super expressive. Stop being joyful. Stop being happy about living forever. Stop it. Really? You've never been to Africa. You want to really feel awkward? I love praying in Africa. Love it. I don't pray. I just watch their prayers. You want to talk about excitement. Some of you are not because you've been, Boy, in prayers, you think someone praying for two minutes on our connection group is long? Woo! We went on one missions trip. They're like, all right, I'm going to, the guy's like, I'm going to pray before we go on missions. And I'm like, all right, let's rock and roll. 20 minutes later, he's still praising God for how good he is, right? And I'm like, we're never going to go on mission. We're just going to, but he was so, you can just tell, it's like, God, you are good. And I got 30 minutes of goodness, right? But sometimes we judge harshly on the style and the preferences, and we overlook the core values, And that's what derails us. And we do the same thing in marriage. We do it in business. And we do it in the church. What we saw from the early church is, uh uh-uh. Don't major on the minors. Don't die on the wrong hill. What's the right hill? Where is salvation? 
What is our mission? What has God called us to do? Not philosophical, what you think. No, what has Jesus said? This is what I call you to do. And not debating the why and all that. No, no, no. This is what Jesus clearly said. We got to be strong on that. That's why we're strong on repentance here. And there's a difference between struggle and rebellion. There's a difference. And we're going to see that in the passages next. There's a difference. We're unified with people that are struggling. And actually to keep unity, we're divisive with people that are rebellious. Now, half of you right now, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that makes me feel, I know, but false unity is not true unity. So the Bible goes on to talk about that because division is not always bad. It can actually teach and protect us. Division at times can actually teach and protect us. Ephesians chapter five, check out this, and I encourage you to write this down. Ephesians five, five through seven. Also write down 1 Corinthians five. You wanna read a freaky passage? 1 Corinthians 5. Ephesians 5, 5 through 7 says this, for this you can be sure. If the Bible says something like you can be sure, then that's something that should be bolded, underlined. Like he's saying, you gotta get this. Gotta get this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, this is Paul writing, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. Now that passage, some of us can read that and be like, uh-oh, crud. I am the immoral. <laughs> you know, I had a rough week. Like, you know, we can almost feel bad. And let me, let me encourage you what Paul's trying to do here because there's other passages like 1 Corinthians 5. There's a dude sleeping with uh, the in-law, mother-in-law, Church didn't do anything about it. And it's like, ah, we all struggle. Let's just kind of keep moving. He didn't want to repent. Nobody said anything. And Paul rebukes them. And he actually says, listen, and I know they're strong words, but he actually says, when you read it, hand them over to Satan. But he goes, don't treat them like an enemy. Treat them as a brother in Christ. You see, the hope of Paul was that at times when you draw a line in the sand, saying, uh-uh, this is not of Christ, you give that, person the ability to actually repent and have a true relationship with Jesus. And what he's talking about here, when you read passages like Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 5, there's a difference between someone who is struggling and rebellious. A person who's struggling says, I know it's wrong, and I know it's sin, and I'm going to keep repenting. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to eventually call it good and change what God, what God says is bad. I say is good now. I'm going to keep struggling. I'm going to keep moving forward. No matter how many times I get back up, I'm going to repent. I'm going to confess. I'm going to keep trying to change things as God works in me. So there's a struggle there. And sometimes we have to push through that struggle. All of us do with certain sins. And all of us have our little things that, that we're struggling with, right? There's a difference between when I'm rebellious as far as like, I'm a Christian. And though God calls us bad, not only am I not going to repent of it, I don't think it's actually bad, and I'm going to promote it, and I'm going to celebrate it, and I'm going to encourage it in others. Those are two different people. When Paul addresses dividing with people, it's people that call sin, clear sin. They call it good. They promote it and actually encourage you to participate in it. And the Bible says, do not partner, do not even have lunch with them. Very hard because we don't view that as loving. But what God is saying is, listen, if I don't keep you unified and that person gets, gains influence in the church, and that begins to spread. 
And all of a sudden, in a church, sexual immorality is no big deal. And all of a sudden, rather than being like, hey, if you're dating, if you're doing this, like, hey, repent, set boundaries, you know, get married, you know, do things like that. All of a sudden, oh, that couple's cool. And then the next couple's like, oh, well, that's, that's cool. That's normal. And we dilute what it means to be unified. And we actually weaken the church. This is hard for us, you guys. I'll, I'll be very honest when it comes to sometimes what you might call church discipline, you know, but where we do things like that, uh, I've had people be like, no, that's wrong. Or I'm like, listen, this person is no longer in a connection group. You can't keep doing that. It's clear. But it's not that they're struggling. It's that they're like, well, we think it's okay. And we're, we think other people can do it too and still be a Christian. That's hard. And you got to be careful because sometimes we judge things that aren't clear sin, right? I'm talking clear sin. The Bible is very clear on that kind of stuff. But I've had people watch that and then leave church because, like, you shouldn't do that. That's not loving. But I'm actually following exactly what the Bible says. But other times we can be overjudgmental and someone's struggling and they're just not there yet, but they're, they're, they're trying to repent and we judge them too early and divide from them. And they're not rebellious. They're just struggling. They're, 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 they're a work in progress. Sin doesn't usually get repented to overnight. It can take years to repent from sin. I want to give you an example of this. Do you remember who Paul rebukes years later in Galatians? He rebukes someone for their clear sin. You know who it was? Peter, the founder of the church. Peter had to struggle, and it took him years. It took him years not to um, judge people on Old Testament law. And he was being a hypocrite as far as when he hung around Gentiles. Um, and if the Pharisees were there or Jewish people were there, he would take their side, and he would um, diminish the Gentiles, people that were, you know, of just different ethnicity and that um, didn't follow the same laws. So Peter got rebuked years later. He was still a work in progress. He wasn't being rebellious, and he repented, and he realized, you're right. I just want to clarify that. The Bible talks about sheep and wolves. You read past like that, right? And uh, it's one of those things that it says kind of like shoot the wolves because they're going to devour the sheep. But sometimes what we can do is sometimes sheep can kind of, herding sheep can look like wolves, and we start shooting the sheep. So... I wish I had more time. Maybe in connection groups we'll discuss this more. We just got to be careful. And sometimes in order, when do we do a clear line? It's going to take discussion as far as, um, like whenever I've asked people to leave the church or not participate in a connection group or ask them to step off a ministry team, I always run it by like the elders or other people. I don't do it on my own because I want, I want to be very gracious and clear, but I also got to protect the church. And so we see that this is, important for the early success of the church in order to accomplish its mission. Joshua 23 is another passage you can write down, even in the Old Testament. This is just, you know, why in the Old Testament you see over and over again where the Israelites, as they were taking over the promised land, he said, don't what? Intermarry and associate with people that worship false idols. Why did he say that? Because once you start doing that, then your faith is influenced and then you can't accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Unity and diversity within unity, but also sometimes there's division in order to keep unity. 
We gotta have that wisdom because unity is the key to success. If we're gonna accomplish the mission of God, whether for ourselves personally or as a church, we've gotta keep unity. What does that mean? We need to have open discussions and debate. I hope you don't come to this church and everything just ever think, just keep your mouth shut. If you see something, you're like, ooh, is that taking us off course? Now you might be right or you might be wrong, but as leaders or people in, the, or in your connection group, we always need to be open for discussion. So I hope we're a church that never just sweeps it under the rug or says, be quiet. Let's at least discuss it if it's a core thing. But also, let's not start judging things that are just diversity. And let's not judge those people. There's diversity. We're a different body. We're going to function in a different way as long as we're moving in the same direction. But also within that, there are core issues when it comes to salvation, when it comes to personal conduct, that there are lines in the sand where God says, listen, if you're going to say you're a Christian, there's, there are a few core things you cannot compromise and so actually one of the most loving things to do is to draw a line in the sand with someone saying, hey, that's a no-go. The goal, though, is not to judge them as far as you're not a Christian. The goal is to draw a line saying, listen, in order to really follow Christ, to have freedom in Christ, I need to bring something up so that you could truly be on mission for us. And that's the most loving thing we can do. How you guys like that one, huh? Like a lot of, a lot of fun, but... Um, but it is something for us to think through because we will see it in our church, if not now, in the future. And it's important for us to stay unified as we move forward in what God wants us to do. The worship team's gonna come up now. And we got some powerful songs. I was getting emotional during practice. And that's why I know it's always gonna be a good thing. And so um, here's the cool thing I wanna remind you is that sometimes we come together in a church and we think that we're, we're kind of in charge. That we come here and we're the ones that set the tone for the church. And I want to encourage you with this. The church is Jesus, not ours. Jesus sets the tone. It's his body. He's the one that forms it together. And so what he says, even when it's difficult for us, it's his church. <laughs> it's not ours. And so just to be reminded as we, as we worship God, as you take communion, that unity is hard. It's difficult, but, the, but in the end, that's how you become successful. Again, in business, in marriage, in family, or in the church. And so just a reminder that we kind of come under God and a reminder that he's the one that died and rose again. He's the one that keeps unity through his blood. And it's by his grace that we are saved. And so I encourage you, if you want to do it by yourself and reflect, if you want to do it with a group of people and just kind of pray together to do that, you can take communion. Uh, and then we're just going to worship and sing songs about how it's God who we serve. We don't necessarily serve other people as far as it's God who we serve. And then he guides us in how to build up other people. So Jesus, we come before you now. And God, I pray that we be a church that, that we stay unified. You see, following you is not an individual sport. You bring people together to accomplish something and what we can accomplish together is greater than what we can accomplish alone God I pray that you give us grace for each other in our diversity our personality diversities our theological diversity the way we just kind of express ourselves that we would allow that we'd appreciate that we're, we're diverse it's awesome 
But God, I also pray that we'd stay unified as far as it's by grace that we're saved. None of us have earned it. But it's also through repentance that we find freedom. That we'd stay unified that we are called to save people. That at the end of this life, if they don't know you, they don't live forever. Their lives change forever. That we'd be passion, unified in our passion, unified in our discipline, God, to accomplish your will. And that's to seek and save the lost and to find joy in that, Jesus. We worship you now, God. Give us the strength to honor you. Give us the strength to trust you more than we fear people. That you may look at Access Church and say, well done, good and faithful servants. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.